All right, this is part two of our series now, Breaking Free. And uh, we're going to continue to explore the freedom that we have in Christ. If you are, uh, if, if you've received Jesus Christ into your life because he gave his life for you and you're giving your life to him in response, I want you to know, I want to proclaim to you this morning that you are absolutely free. You're free from so many things and some of them, you know, perhaps you're not even aware of. But last week, we briefly looked at the fact that we're free from guilt and condemnation. We've been set free from the, the four Ps, the, the penalty of sin, the power of sin, the, the very pleasure of sin, and ultimately that final deliverance is from the very presence of sin. When Jesus will purify this universe and make all things new. God has a lot of awesome plans for, for those whom he's called and chosen and those who love him. And, and uh, they're amazing plans that God has in store for us. Freedom is a wonderful gift. Bondage, not so good. Um, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, uh, all rock stars, successful at the time, uh, would have been about my age right about now, maybe just a few years older, had they not dried, died from uh, drug overdoses in their quest for pleasure. Uh, talented actor and comedian uh, Jim Belushi, um, even John Belushi, I'm sorry, um, even uh, clean-cut Ricky Nelson. Some of you older folks remember Ozzy and Harriet, Ricky Nelson's Ozzy and Harriet, right? He, he died in a plane explosion crash uh, because he was cooking, I believe it was methamphetamine, while he was uh, flying his plane. Uh, Whitney Houston, Michael Jackson, uh, Heath Ledger, uh, River Phoenix. Uh, the list goes on and on and on of, of celebrities, and we could just keep naming them, who who have, have experienced uh, premature lives, who've, who've died in their quest for, for, for pleasure uh, and for the things that they desired that they thought would bring them satisfaction but had only proven to enslave them. What they were looking for was life and, and, and pleasure, but in the end, it brought them only bondage and uh, unbroken chains. My conviction is that only Jesus Christ can truly set us free and only Jesus Christ can give us true satisfaction and eternal joy. I want you to think about this with me. It's not just people who are obviously, you know, over the edge in terms of their lifestyle, but, but people who live a long life and, and who are pursuing things that be, it becomes obsessive in their lives, careers, professions. You know, I personally know of several men who I think of who are in the bondage of, of being obsessed with golf. I mean, they live, breed, drink, sleep, eat golf. They live for golf to the exclusion of other things that are valuable in life. They've become prisoners of their obsession. Bonnie Ware is an Australian nurse uh, who specializes in end-of-life care. And uh, she's made some observations that I wanted to share with you. She says that people who know that they're dying have this phenomenal clarity of vision. And when asked the question, is there anything in their life that they regret? Or if there's, is there anything that they would do over 
over and over again, consistently the same theme comes up, and that, is, and that is namely this. They wish they didn't spend so much time and energy in the pursuit of career and success and acquiring things to the neglect of relationships and their family. They have deep feelings of, of regret. To me, that's a prison. When you can go through life and then have deep feelings of regret. Jesus said life is not measured by the stuff that you own. Life does not consist of the abundance of the things that you possess. We all know that we can, we can, easily, become, we can easily become possessed by our possessions when our possessions become obsessions. I love what John Piper wrote. I have a quote from him this morning. He says, to be truly free, we must have the desire, the ability, and the opportunity to do what will make us happy forever. I think the word forever is the key in that sentence. No regrets. Only Jesus, the Son of God who died and rose for us, can make, us, can make that possible. To be happy forever, our sins must be forgiven, God's wrath removed, and Christ must become our supreme treasure. Only Jesus can do that. In fact, he's already done it. He died for our sins. He absorbed God's wrath. He rose again from the dead and is today, therefore, supremely precious. And he offers us that now as a free gift. If the Son shall set you free, you shall be free Indeed, some of the songs that we sang earlier this morning talked about this freedom that we have in Christ. Uh, in the movie, Shawshank Redemption, I don't know if you saw that, it's a good, really good movie. Uh, the main character, his name is Andy, not to be confused with Andy from Toy Story 1, 2, or 3. Played by Tim Robbins, he's convicted of having killed his wife and her lover, based upon circumstantial evidence and is sent to Shawshank State Penitentiary for, I guess, a life sentence. Interestingly, when I was looking for a, an image, uh, I found one poster that had this caption very interestingly, and it said, fear can hold you prisoner, hope can set you free. Fear can hold you prisoner, hope. I mean, I don't know how accurate that is, but there is some sediment there that I think that the movie is making. One of the subplots or sub-story lines is about a, a guy by the name of Brooks who has been in prison, in that state prison, for 50 years. Halfway through the film, Brooks becomes enraged and he threatens to take another inmate's life. He's got a makeshift knife held to his throat. And in a few tense moments, Red is played by Morgan Freeman and Andy persuade Brooke to put, Brooks to put down the knife. And it's when they discover then that, that Brooks, after 50 years, has received a parole. He's going to be set free. And the idea of being freed has sent him over the edge. A scene a little later on, a discussion that's taking place in the courtyard uh, of the prison. One of the prison concludes that, that Brooks has gone bugged out. Uh, and Red quickly disagrees. He says, Brooks ain't bugged. He says he's just institutionalized. And then he says he's been in this place. This is all he knows. He's been in this place for 50 years, 50 years. This is all he knows. Outside, he says there's nothing for him. 
He's just a used-up con with arthritis in both his hands. Probably couldn't even get a library card. When he was in prison, he was the librarian. But, but this is, this is the, the most important line in, in this film. He says, you believe whatever you want, but I'm telling you that these walls are funny. First, you hate them. Then you get used to them. And enough time passes so that you begin to depend on them. I see a correlation between those that are lost in their sin, seeing in sin a false security that keeps them in prison. Being set free from, and you can fill in the blank, is amazing, but even greater still is freedom to be. And I'll tell you what that freedom is by the end of this message. You see, Israel was in bondage for 400 years. They were slaves of the Egyptian people. They were, had, a, had, had their lives made cruel by taskmasters, and it was hard and it was difficult being enslaved for 400 years. But God brought them out. God didn't just bring them out from slavery. He brought them into something. He brought them out so that he can bring them in to a land that flowed with milk and honey, a land with rivers and valleys and streams and hills, a land where there was copper in the hills and where there was no scarcity of bread. Beloved, God brings us out of darkness to bring us into something better. He brings us out of slavery to bring us into the light of the glorious Son and his kingdom, where we can know joy unspeakable and full of glory. Being set free is amazing, but there's something even greater than that. It's freedom to be, freedom to become. I love the way Paul the Apostle sums up what we once were and and what we are now free to be, what we were enslaved by and what we are now experiencing in this freedom in Christ. So let me read it for you, Titus chapter 3, verse 3. He says, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We were enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things that we have done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth. I'm going to come back to that word. I want you to note it. Rebirth. Some translations have regeneration. I want to explain what that is. And renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he has poured out upon us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, there is a so that, we've been set free from being enslaved, so that, having been justified, just as if we had never sinned, by grace, unmerited, unearned, undeserved, favor, gift of God, we might become heirs having hope of eternal life, that we might be, that we might become the heirs of eternal life. Whenever the scriptures talk about eternal life, it is never, never to be understood or defined as duration of time or of endless ages. That's obvious because there's eternal life and there's eternal death, both endless ages. But when the Bible talks about 
us receiving eternal life. It's talking about the quality of life. It's talking about pleasures that are, that are indescribably delicious. Pleasure at the right hand of God, joy forevermore. That's what the Bible is talking about with eternal life. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad. Excuse me. I'm so glad that we have evolved in Christianity beyond the bumper sticker years. Remember the bumper sticker years? Everybody had bumper stickers. Some of you are old enough to remember. All cars used to have bumper stickers. Today you can't find a bumper sticker anymore, thank God. One of the bumper stickers I hated the most was, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Are you kidding me? We're just, for, we're just forgiven? Are you kidding me? No, there's, there's something a whole lot more that God has made for us. And it's found in that word that I just asked you to, to note in verse 5. It's that rebirth. It, it's, the, it's only one of two times that word is used in the New Testament. And it means a regenesis. A regenesis. This rebirthing is a regenesis. And the only other time it's used in Scripture is when, is when at the cult, as the consummation of the age, when Jesus Christ purifies and purges this universe and makes all things new. What the Apostle Paul is saying, being led by the Holy Spirit, is that, is that even for us right now who have been regenesised, have been made new, if anyone is in Christ, he becomes a new creation, all things pass away and all things become new. The audacity of, of, of receiving the future regenesis now begun in us who believe in Jesus Christ. This process has already begun. As a down payment, we have received the things that are yet to come. And this is amazing. Paul is saying, and he's using these words like we were once disobedient. We were once hateful and hating one another. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. He's, he's, he's writing to, to, to Titus, who, who, who is a Gentile believer, Gentile Christian, you know, and Paul's ministry was to the Gentiles, right? And one of the greatest evidences of the, of the change of this miracle that can take place in the human heart is to think about this one who used to be a Pharisee, who used to be a bigoted prejudice. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard any of the recorded prayers of the Pharisees, but it went something like this. God, I thank you that I, I was not born a Gentile or a woman. There was so much animosity from generation to generation of bitterness and hatred between Jews and, and Gentiles. But now, because of the grace of God, God has, has removed that middle wall of petition and he's made of the two one new man so that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, bond nor free. But what is of God's most uppermost priority is that new creation that is in Christ. This is a freedom that not only delivers us from hatred and, and bitterness, toward people, groups, and nations, but, but even members of one's own family, of brothers and sisters. And yet, how many of you know, if, uh, I, I would not embarrass anybody, but how many of you know family members who, who aren't talking to each other? Some, some rift came in the family. Some offense occurred, and 
So brothers aren't talking to brothers. And, and, and for some families I know of personally, it's been years since they've seen each other. They just don't talk to each other. Some, some offense has, has happened. Some petty jealousy. Some, some petty, you know, thing, thing that they don't even remember the cause of what separated them, but they're still separated. Being hateful and hating one another. But our great God and Savior has come to rescue us to provide for us a regenesis, a rebirth, so that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Some of you may remember, um, it's so funny that you guys are sitting on first row today. Uh, Marie's, Maria's mom, my sister Marie, uh, a gracious, generous member of Living Word for so many years, uh, she passed away a couple of years ago now, and uh, just a real compassionate woman of God. Um, some of you may not know our history as brother and sister before Christ, and uh, I'll just tell you, my, my history with my sister, uh, she's 10 years older than me. Uh, I came along, was unexpected, right? Uh, kind of knocked her off of her princess chair, you know, being the youngest in the family, being special, you know, and I kind of changed all that, being the only boy in the family and happening to be fresh with a fresh mouth and, and, and spoiled, you know, and so there was constant conflict between us uh, in the years in which we were growing up. I mean, we had some real knockdown, drag out fights. I'm not talking about arguing. I'm talking about physically, you know, I seem to remember knives flying, you know, and stuff. I'm not kidding you, you know. And, and that's, that's the relationship that we had before Christ. But when we came to Christ, or I should say when Christ came to us, he changed all that. He healed the breach that existed between us. He healed our relationship to the point where, where my sister Marie could sit underneath the ministry of her kid brother and do it with all of her heart and soul for years and be such a, just a, a great and faithful support to her brother in the kingdom of God. See, it's changes like this that is the evidence of the grace of God and the evidence of, of this regenesis, this rebirthing that's taking place. The love of God shed abroad in our hearts enables us to love God, but to also love God others as well. Say it again, the love of God shed abroad in our hearts enables us, empowers us to be able to love God and to love one another. And amazingly, not only are we able to love God, but we're even able to love our enemies. And, 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 and this must have really blown away the people that first heard it. But let me read it for you. It says, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. Therefore, be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. They had to have been blown away when, when Jesus said, love your enemies, do good to them. 
bless and don't curse. How could you do that? This too, it's, too, it's too difficult. It's too impossible. But what is impossible with men is made possible with God and the grace that floods our heart and our soul. Yeah, those who first heard it must have been blown away. But amazingly, it happened. It happened to a guy by the name of Saul of Tarsus who began to look at Gentiles not as enemies but as beloved brothers and sisters. You know, one of the most touching scenes in the entire Bible is found in Acts, the 20th chapter. It talks about Paul who's, who's going to be taken away from Ephesus. The, the, the Ephesian elders are they're, they're out in public. They're, they're by the docks. They're kneeling down and they're praying and they're weeping and they're, 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 they're hugging each other. They're kissing one another. Paul has just, has just given them some great, you know, just great fatherly advice. He said, he said, you guys have got to guard the flock of God, which his, he's purchased in his blood. Feed the, feed the flock of God. Be, beware because ravenous wolves will come in, not sparing the flock of God. And even from among your own selves will arise teachers who will draw away disciples to themselves. But I commend you to God, Paul says, and to the word of his grace that's able to build you up and to give you an inheritance. But they were grieved, Acts 20 says, most of all because Paul said to them, you'll never see my face again. And they're weeping and they're crying and they're praying for one another. Here's Jews and Gentiles who were once hateful and hating one another, now loving one another, being transformed by the regenesis of the new birth. You know, in, in wake of the, of the Civil War, then-President Andrew Johnson, he offered amnesty to hundreds of thousands of Confederate soldiers. In fact, so determined was he to bind up the wounds of war and division that was in the nation that he declared four presidential proclamations, all about amnesty, and even gave amnesty to then-President Jefferson Davis on Christmas Day, 1868. Amnesty is defined as this, as the sovereign act of forgetfulness granted by a sovereign authority, especially to a group of persons who are guilty of crimes in the past. That sounds like us. Guilty of crimes of the past that we've committed against the throne of God. God has cast our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. The word comes from the Greek, from which we get the word amnesia. It differs from mere pardon in that it restores those who have been previously guilty of an offense to the state of being innocent. It includes more than pardon in as much as it obliterates all legal remembrance of the offense. That's the grounds upon which we rest in Christ Jesus. That's the grounds upon which we have been justified freely by his grace and freely by his blood and freely through faith. The cross has healed the breach of our rebellion. The cross has laid down the weapons of our warfare at the cross where we come into peace terms with God through the blood of the cross. Now, being set free from sin is amazing, but Greater still is the freedom to become and to be completely the Lord's. 
to be completely his possession. Where we're no longer possessed by what we possess, but rather we are possessed by God. David Richard Berkowitz, a.k.a. Son of Sam. Between the summers of 76 and 77, he was responsible for the death of six people and the wounding of seven others. When he was arrested, he confessed to the crimes. One of the things that really terrorized New York City at the time, I remember I was still working in Queens at the time, and people were really frightened was not only the crimes themselves, but the notes that he wrote and left at the crime scenes and the letters that he sent to the press. Very eerie. Son of Sam came from his next-door neighbor's dog, whose name was Sam. He was receiving demonic instructions from what he believed was voices coming from the dog. He later said that he was not the only one involved in the killings, that there were, he was a part of a cult, satanic worship group, and that drugs had, had just mesmerized his mind, corrupted his mind, and, and uh, the occult practices had just corrupted his way of thinking. Berkowitz is, is, is now somewhere in his late 60s. He's been in prison for more than 30 plus years. He's coming up for another parole in August of 2012. To a letter that he sent to foxnews.com, he says, if you can understand this, I am already a free man. I'm not saying this jokingly. I am. Jesus Christ has already forgiven me and pardoned me, and I believe this. He's not not interested. He's not seeking a parole any longer. He, he, He is at peace with the fact that he is paying for his crimes. He's come to terms with his life in prison. In fact, uh, he helps people. He's, he's an assistant uh, chaplain. Uh, he's come to Christ. He's, he's regenesis into a new creation in Christ. Quote, my main activities are sharing my story of redemption and hope with those on the outside as well as writing a monthly journal from which can be reviewed at ariseandshine.org. I checked that out. I I went to ariseshine.org and I found found an apology that he wrote in 19, uh, I'm sorry, in 2007. I'm going to just briefly read that to you. He says, I have communicated many times throughout the years. I am deeply sorry for the pain, suffering, and sorrow that I've brought upon the victims of my crimes. I grieve for those who are wounded and the family members of those who have lost loved ones because of my selfish actions. I regret what I've done and I'm haunted by it. Not a day goes by that I don't think about the sufferings that I've brought about to many. Likewise, I I cannot even comprehend all of the grief and pain that they live with now. These individuals have every right to be angry with me. Nevertheless, I apologize for the crimes I've committed. My continual prayer is that as much as is possible, these hurting individuals can go on with their lives. In addition, I'm not writing this 
apology for sympathy or for pity. I'm sim- I simply believe that, that such an apology is the right thing to do. And by the grace of God, I hope I do the best to make amends whatever and wherever possible, both to society and to any of my victims. He's, he's a serial killer who's been forgiven. You may have a problem with that. I don't know. You may be suspicious of somebody like that. I suppose that there were many in the first century who were suspicious of Saul of Tarsus, who had been responsible for the death of of Christians, who had had imprisoned Christians, tortured Christians, and put some to death. Just as others in that century may have been suspicious But we look now at at Paul's life and say, what amazing grace. I am what I am by the grace of God. Very well is probably the grace of God at work. I don't think you can write something like this and not be sincere. So here's my, my question this morning. If it's possible for somebody like Berkowitz who is still in prison and yet has the attitude of being set free, who has experience of freedom in Christ? What about you? Do you know what it's like to be set free from your sins, from the wrath of God, by his having absorbed the wrath of God for you by substitution? Do you know what freedom is? For whom the Son shall make free is free indeed. If you're not in a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, my news for you is, is not good that you are not free. I don't care what you think. You are not free. Only Jesus Christ can make you free. But the good news is, is that the God of the universe has declared a proclamation that's far greater than a presidential proclamation of amnesty, of complete innocence and forgetfulness on the basis of the sacrifice of his son. And he calls us to receive that as the gift of God. How? How how could all this be? You know, it it sounds too good to be true. It is too good, but it's not too good to be true. And let me just close with this last scripture this morning that really sums up what you can become, that you can be set free to be by the grace of God, and, and it has to do with, with that little word grace. For, for, notice this, back to Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us, that is to buy us, to purchase us, not with silver and gold, but with his own precious life, to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good, to purchase for himself, for himself, that we might become his possession. An old translation says that we might be his peculiar people. It really is better understood as, a, as becoming his treasured treasure. 
that God looks at those who have been called and redeemed by the blood of Jesus as, as his treasure, that he will set us in his own crown as, as set in his diadem because we've set our, our love upon him because he first loved us. You see, being set free from sin is amazing, but greater still is the freedom to become completely the Lord's. I don't know, maybe you're here this morning and you've never made that transaction. You've never received Christ as your substitution. I'd like to give you that opportunity to do so this morning. It's not a magical formula. It's not a just say these right words and, you know, shake my hand later. And and that's not that. It's faith. It's by faith. Grace are you saved through faith and not not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. If you want to receive a gift, you've got to open your heart and say yes to grace and say yes to Christ. And just say, Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Become precious to me. Be that precious treasure that I heard mentioned this morning. And you will become his precious treasure if you make that transition that transaction. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the grace of God that enables us, that sets us free from the law of sin and death. Father, I thank you this morning for the grace of God that enables us to love you and to love others. Father, I thank you this morning for the grace of God that set me free, set me free from addiction, set me free from a life of hate and bitterness. I thank you, Father, that there are many in this room this morning who can say the same, uh, that I am what I am by the grace of God, and his grace was not in vain. So, Father, this morning, I pray that if there is any that are still holding on to their past, that if something is holding on to them, that this morning there will be a breakthrough today, Lord God, that the chains will be broken, the chains of sin and chains of of false pleasures and false walls will come down and that you will set free the captives this morning once again. In Jesus' name.